Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. You're on Long Final, Ireland's aviation podcast from Squawk 7000. Welcome to this episode of Squawk 7000. This time we're taking a slightly different approach to the podcast in that we're bringing you a panel of pilots who between them have extensive experience in aviation in Ireland and overseas and to also share valuable insights into the future of aviation after the pandemic. There's a growing sense of urgency amongst those whose career is in aviation. By contrast, there seems to be little urgency and few plans from those advising the government on how to recover the aviation sector and the jobs it supports. A group of aviation professionals have founded Recover Irish Aviation. It provides a voice for the aviation community in Ireland following the economic devastation caused by the COVID-19 pandemic. Joining us today from Recover Irish Aviation are four captains. Louise Gilroy, actively flying at the moment. Simon Moody, awaiting a type conversion, which is stalled as a result of the pandemic. Sarah Louise Gibbons, who was a captain on the RJ85 and a former chief flying instructor pre-COVID. And Daniel Langan, who's a former captain on the RJ85 pre-COVID, now awaiting a transition to the A320 as a first officer. You're all very welcome. Simon, can I start with you? Recover Irish Aviation has launched a petition. It might be the right place to start for us. What are you petitioning for? Uh, Michael, we're a year into the COVID crisis and we're seeing a little bit of uh, light at the end of the tunnel, I think, with vaccines and declining pressures on the health system in Ireland and abroad. It looks like the world is starting to look ahead and plan for recovery. But for some reason, our government has failed to produce any kind of a plan for Irish aviation. So the petition that we've put up at recoveririshaviation.ie is asking everyone to support uh, a, quote, comprehensive phased recovery plan for Irish aviation based on clearly defined public health triggers or milestones. We're asking everyone to sign it because we think this is about more than just airlines. We think it's about what kind of a country we're going to live in when this is all over. The aviation sector is of enormous economic and social importance to Ireland. It contributes more in GDP than the annual health budget. It supports 143,000 jobs in our country. And then without aviation and the connection that it gave us to the world, we don't we wouldn't be in the thriving, vibrant society that has emerged in the last 20 years or so. But yet one year in to this uh, crisis, which is the worst any of us have ever seen. And we don't think the government really understands the seriousness of the situation. And to put it in aviation speak, as pilots, before we take off, we want to know 
what the destination is, what the alternate is if we can't get there, and how much fuel we need. A flight plan, basically. At the moment, Irish aviation is stuck on the ground, and I think the government believes that when they finally get around to doing anything, they'll just click their fingers and we'll get airborne without a flight plan. But that's not going to work. So what we're looking for is a phased plan. It's based on public health milestones. And we hope that anyone who has an interest, not just in Irish aviation, but anyone who cares about Irish society, our economic prospects, and anyone who hopes to visit their family abroad at some stage in the future will support us. So are are we looking at a situation where we just have people with no plan or they have a plan that puts aviation fairly low down the priority list? What's your sense of it? Our sense is that there's actually no plan at all. Uh, We hear soundbites from politicians saying the right things. They acknowledge the importance of aviation to, to the economy and so on. But nothing ever happens. Nothing ever gets done. It's always put in the long finger. It's pushed into the future. It could be the summer, it could be the autumn, it could be next year. And then what we're seeing in the meantime is decisions are being made in the absence of any plan, in the absence of any structure of what's going to happen. And aircraft are already leaving Ireland. And uh, we think that's just going to, to, to increase as the months go on if something doesn't change. Okay, put that in context for me, because you say aircraft are leaving Ireland. What you mean by that is that as assets, they may no longer be available on the island at some point in the future. Absolutely. I mean, aircraft are obviously very expensive assets, but they're also very mobile. Um, What's been happening, of course, is there's been a massive decline worldwide in aviation. So there maybe hasn't been the pressure up to now to utilize those assets elsewhere. But as Europe opens up, as plans are made abroad, as opportunities arise, as we saw recently in the UK, yes, airlines are not going to hang around and wait for some indefined point in the future where they're going to actually make a return on these assets. They're going to go and chase the money where it is. What's happening around the rest of the world? Is there, has there anybody who's gotten this right at this stage? Daniel? In terms of what's happening across Europe, it, there's a very different approach than what's happening in Ireland. And Connectivity for us is really, really important. And we really, we need urgent and meaningful aid uh, for the sector to protect Irish jobs in the state and Irish connectivity. And I suppose connectivity is much more, much more than holidays, which seems to be the main story at the moment. You know, connectivity for us is getting pharmaceutical products in and out of the country. It's uh, maintaining these key routes. It's cargo. The majority of cargo is brought in by passenger aircraft into the country and leaves the country as well. It's also the transport of human organs. So it's vital that we maintain this connectivity in and out of of the country. Um, And then come back to the question, other EU governments have really realized this quick, very early on and put measures in place at the start of the pandemic. So other EU governments have put billions of euros into their aviation sectors uh, to protect the vital transport infrastructure. For example, I suppose Portugal have put 1.2 billion uh, into their aviation sector. We look at France, they put in just under 10 billion euro. Um, And here a year on Ireland, we're still talking about it. There's nothing has really been put in, nothing meaningful anyway. So it's essential that we get this uh, done urgently and that we stop talking about it. So what is there a belief uh, at at a government level that private companies, private airlines will carry the can and will uh, either grow or not as the commercial potential is there in the future? Yeah, I, th- I think that seems to be one of the one of the thought processes. 
And like we, we really need to focus on Irish jobs and Irish connectivity and what's important for the Irish state. So if we don't get this now, we're going to lose it. And as Simon said earlier on, other airlines are putting assets out of Dublin, out of Cork, up to Belfast, Manchester. We've already seen one Irish airline uh, close its Dublin base and move its pilots out of Ireland and over to another EU country. And this is primarily due to the type of supports that other governments are offering the aviation sector. So, like, look, initially the Irish uh, government, rightly so, put in the pandemic unemployment payment and the TWSS at the time as an emergency stopgap, but are never really involved. So it needs to be really revisited. This is not a short term problem. It's a problem that's going to affect us into the future. And our, sh- our short time working falls way short of other EU uh, counterparts. You look at the UK government, they have a very good furlough scheme in place. Go around France, Denmark, the Netherlands. And the list goes on, uh, even Germany, they, for example, they have a comprehensive short-time working system in place, which is designed uh, to keep the employee uh, and the employer alike comfortable during the COVID pandemic by keeping the skilled jobs intact and, and keeping the jobs in place. Louise, if I could turn to you next, because I think uh, of the people around the table, you're probably the, the most recent who's, uh, who's taken to the air. What is it actually like at the moment trying to operate in the environment of COVID uh, when it comes to taking an aircraft t- into the sky? Well, the environment is very different um, now from, uh, let's say, um, the beginning of 2020. The busyness has gone out of the environment. You know, you might be the only aircraft landing, you know, for an hour. Um, We don't have the traffic density we used to have. And in a lot of ways, it brings me back to years ago flying when um, there just weren't many aircraft flying. And for me, that's a worry because we've spent so much money as a a country, let's say, investing in aviation. And uh, we've got really good infrastructure now compared to where, you know, what we would have had 30 years ago when I first um, started to fly commercially. And what's going to be the future of it? Are we going to lose the progress that we've made over the last 10, 20, 30 years? I know that, for example, the government is investing in uh, the regional airports. Um, There's about 20 million worth of uh, euro worth of support for the regional airports this year under the Project Ireland 2040. But if we don't have airlines flying to those airports, then, you know, what what is the future of those? You made a comparison, I think, earlier about uh, looking in your logbook from 1994. Can can you bring us that that example? Yeah. So on one of your previous podcasts, uh, Michael, I saw that the last time that Dublin Airport had passenger numbers less than 8 million was in 1994. So that prompted me to uh, take down my logbook and see what was I doing in 1994. So I started flying commercially in 1990. By 1994, we'd already been through the first Gulf War and things had been very bad. You know, I remember flights with maybe six passengers and, you know, towards the end of 1991, 1992. Um, I didn't see that again until March 2020. That was the next time that happened. But in 1994, even though things were quite bad, I myself flew a Boeing 737 from Dublin Airport to 22 different destinations. Mm. In April, 2020, there were only 22 destinations from Dublin Airport. That's To me, that's just unbelievable. And I just worry, what is April 2021 going to look like unless there's a problem? And, you know, aviation, it's a perishable good that we provide. You know, when the flight goes, if uh, a seat is empty, 
that's a sale that has been lost. Mm-hmm. If a summer goes without any um, bookings, that's more revenue that hasn't come into the airlines. And uh, it's a worrying prospect. And that's, what I suppose, why we've become involved in Recover Irish Aviation, because we, we need to do something. Sarah Louise, if I can come to you next, because uh, you know there is an, often a comparison, and it's an unfortunate one, about uh, you know, aviation being a, a patient that's in a coma, and that the idea that it can be resuscitated and brought back to life really quickly. C- can you explain for us, if you would, because I, again, I want to tap into your experience as a, a chief flying instructor, just getting pilots back into the air when you know when when everything if it ever comes back to normal again is not a straightforward process. Absolutely, it's uh, it's definitely not um, a straightforward process. There's lots of different variables that um, need to be taken into account. So now coming on the anniversary of the first uh, year of the the cases and the downturn in, in Ireland here, anyway, you know that's the possibility of of type ratings expiring. So, you know, if you're lucky enough to, to revalidate your, your type rating within the, the year expiry year, uh, you know, that's that's a little bit more straightforward for the, the airlines. But if your type rating has lapsed because there hasn't been uh, any possibility of retraining, that's then when you get into further requirements for additional training. So if your renewal, your, your type rating has re- expired and you need to renew your, your type rating, you need your refresher training then with, with an ATO. And then depending on that refresher training, which will be different for each person that that comes uh, up for their renewal. It'll be depending on the complexity of the aircraft that they're flying, their own personal experience and the elapsed time of the expiry of their type rating. You know, so these will have to be dedicated individual sessions, you know, possibly multiple sessions with multiple crews, multiple instructors, multiple examiners to get them uh, through to to, in order to pass their LPC. So there's there's lots to be uh, taken into account. So the scheduling involved on the pilots themselves you know, there, there already had been a lot of ground school training done via CBT or via computers. So at least that, that's a helpful benefit now at the moment. But obviously, when it comes to, to the aircraft and to your license and your handling skills, you know, that's hands on. Uh, and typically over the last year, airlines have been attempting to, I suppose, to keep the, the aircraft reasonably fresh, but the pilots as well. What is the actual process? What, I, you know, not any specific airline, but across the airlines, what are they doing? Well, one of the things I've been doing is providing uh, webinars for pilots on uh, particular topics. So trying to keep technical knowledge fresh. Uh, Sarah Louise mentioned that there's um, a lot of uh, computer-based training as well. So we do have some resources like that. Airlines have been using simulators where they're available to keep pilot skills fresh. But as she said, it's uh, very time consuming. You can only uh, train two pilots at a time with one Mm. instructor. So while airlines have been doing the best they can, it does take a long time to get a a whole industry back up and moving again. And this is just pilots we're talking about, you know, the skill erosion. There are a lot of skilled jobs in aviation. (laughs) I think we should mention that too, because your your cabin crew colleagues have been providing a great deal of support as well. Yeah, they have. We got a lot of help from the cabin crew at the start of this, and we got a lot of buy-in from them, and they've been very supportive. They've been very active on social media. Uh, for example, we had a great mini campaign on Instagram. It was called Our Voices, Our Stories, which got a lot of attention. It got some media attention. It also, I think, it was quite nice. It was basically a, a everyone sort of... Um, putting up little picture boards of their experience of what's happened to them. And we've had people, you know, going off and become COVID testers and all sorts of things here at Cabin Crew. And I think it gave them a chance maybe to give voice to their frustration and their, even, even say their grief, because there's been, a, there's been a sense of loss, I suppose, for a lot of people. 
and they feel, feel that their voice hasn't been heard, but also their resilience. On the one hand, it's it's great for the campaign, but I think it also serves a secondary, very beneficial purpose. It gives people a voice. It, it lets people sort of gives them a feeling of shared purpose and community and that they're in this together, to use that often overused phrase at the mm. moment. And as well, I, I suppose, Michael, uh, just in relation to, to pilots and their, and their currency, I have, like there is a lot of our colleagues as well who simply have been stood down, so they're, they're not flying at all. So there, there's, depending on which airline you work in, you know, you can have nearly up to 100, 200 of our colleagues on the ground who are just waiting to get trained up again and, and to get current. So there is also that element as well where there's some people just not being maintained, you know. I presume too that there may be people in of a certain age who might decide that there's no point in returning back to it even. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, just yesterday, I think it was one of our very senior captains uh, announced that he's uh, retiring. And of course, he probably didn't get the opportunity to have a final flight. And I know that'll be happening to a few people now. It's a sad way to go. It's It's been a feature, unfortunately, of the industry to some extent that there are these cyclical crises and it, it tends to be the time when a lot of people leave. But what's particularly sad about this one, I, I suppose, is there's not that opportunity to have the last flight and the last meet up in the crew room and mm-hmm. everyone to say, you know, thanks. Yeah, you're, you're, you're starting to share a very human story with us there. Look, I think or we might do at this point, though, is let, let's address the elephant in the room that we that we will be asked about. Uh, it's almost a year now since uh, Cheltenham. And there's no question about it that uh, at some point, you know, the uh, COVID virus arrived into this country on ferries, on trains and on boats and planes. And in this particular case, you know, people are still getting very animated about the idea that there are people coming through Dublin airport. In fact, it, it often goes quite unchallenged when you hear the number of people that come through the airport on a daily basis. Can you put that in context for us? What is actually happening? Well, I, I think, Michael, definitely we moved on a lot since last March. So we didn't really understand an awful lot about the virus a year ago. And, you know, luckily, now that we have we have vaccines coming through, we understand the importance of testing. We understand the importance of washing our hands wearing face masks, social distancing. So there's a lot of work being put in to make traveling as safe as possible. Uh, and, you know, experts around the world have been looking at this as well. So ICAO, which is known as a UN body that looks after aviation and the safety of aviation, have set up a different task forces. One of them is the Council for Aviation Recovery Task Force. And they've put together very comprehensive documents and guidance on how to open up travel safely. And they do focus on the main points, which are ensuring that travel remains safe, uh, it remains secure and it remains efficient. Uh, and it focuses around promoting public health guidance for passengers. And then also recognizing that aviation is a key driver for economic recoveries. And, you know, Ireland, we understand that, uh, especially after the last crash, uh, aviation pay, played a huge role in, in stimulating growth uh, for the state post the crash. Uh, so at this point, I suppose the clarification is, is that if an aircraft takes off from Dublin and it's heading to the United States, everybody on the aircraft is, is tested and uh, including the crew as well. So why would people be getting themselves agitated and animated about this particular uh, situation? Well, I suppose it's 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 natural to be afraid of 
the, the virus and the, the impact that it has on society and so many lives that have been lost uh, over the past year, it's only a natural reaction to be uh, a little bit apprehensive. But there has been a lot of uh, studies done over the past year um, to prove that flying is safe. IATA, the International Air Transport Association, has put out a nice, succinct kind of five point plan of of, of how how flying is safe, uh, adhering to the masks being worn by passengers and crew, uh, that passengers face forward as well. So it's putting up uh, uh, those physical barriers then between the, the seat back. Also, then that the airflow is coming down. So it's coming from ceiling to floor. Mm. So, mm. you know, that around eradicates um, a lot of the transmission and also then probably the most effective is the HEPA filters that are on board and they clean the cabin air to hospital operating theatre quality. So it's the air is exchanged every two to three minutes. So I think if you kind of, if you had told somebody, well, you know, if you could go and sit in a hospital operating theatre, mm. you know, for an hour, I think there'd probably be a lot more that would actually yeah. be willing to do that maybe than, you know, head to, to Duns or Sure, yeah. And, and then you, you add in the, you know, every every safety system, of course, is multi-layered and you have different layer, levels and layers of mitigation. And you add into that, you know, we've been proposing in, in the aviation industry for quite some time the use of rapid antigen testing at departure and arrival. And increasingly now, the the worldwide consensus seems to be coalescing around the, the validity of that and the efficacy of that. Sorry, Michael, if I could just add as well that aviation um, as an industry, it just doesn't rely on one aspect to preserve safety or for safety. You know, it's a multi-layered approach. We have, um, say, a system you would call prevent, trap and mitigate. So you try to prevent something happening. So you prevent people getting on board the airplane who have uh, have tested positive. You do that through your testing, perhaps. Then you um, try to trap the cases as they arise, then through arrival testing, let's say, and then you mitigate the um, the further spread by uh, proper tracing. So you could you could use different models like that. Yeah, I was just going to say as well, like, you know, the lack of urgency in Ireland about everything is, is leading to some of our problems. Mm-hmm. So like if you're in France and you're getting on an airplane, you get a free PCR test before you travel. And then when you get to the airport, you get another free antigen test. We're just not seeing that here. We don't see the urgency. And it's time we start putting everything on the table and come up with a viable plan to get ourselves moving. And I think like you're saying, we want everything on the table, really. The decisions that are being taken now, they need to bring in the aviation perspective and the idea really that time is critical for the aviation industry. We don't have the luxury of an awful lot of time because airlines are burning cash and we don't know how long they're going to be able to survive. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. You, you present such a nice logical argument and yet at the same time we have a scenario where dentists in Tenerife were taking bookings so that people could go on holidays. I mean, how do you square this one away when on the one hand you're presenting a very nice, logical, clear and, and disciplined argument and that's the other side of the argument? Yeah, I think part of this comes from frustration and anger, which I understand in, in the general public. I mean, we're all stuck five kilometres within our, house, our, our homes with been this way for so long now we can't see family we can't do the things that make life worthwhile and i think people are understandably getting very frustrated and angry and unfortunately maybe it's been it's been easy easy to sort of put up stories about aviation that direct all the anger towards us and distract from more pressing issues shall we say and look i'm not going to defend the people who went to tenerife with fake dental appointments the the one thing i would say is that they were tested before they left and when they were in tenerife it was um, a considerably safer place to be at the time than Ireland in terms of rates of COVID infection. Then they were tested before they came back. And then really the question is though, you know, why does it get so much media attention? The way I look at it is in a year, in two years time, there'll be a lot of media attention about what happened at the moment. But I don't think it's going to be about people who flew to Tenerife. I think it's going to be about the connectivity we lost and the difficulty we're having in maintaining critical supply chains the people who've lost their jobs, not just the 143,000 people whose jobs depend on aviation, but those coming from the stalled economic recovery that we'll be experiencing, and also the sort of diminished society we'll be, we'll be living in, possibly with fewer foreign accents and reduced opportunities for our kids. Uh, and I, I think it's a shame maybe that we couldn't have a little bit more focus in the media on really the important issues, the long-term issues, and also the real problems that we have. But Simon, there's very often a, a reason that something doesn't get picked up by the media is because they don't understand. In other words, they haven't got the perspective. So I presume this is what it is you you're, you're, you're as a group are attempting to do. Let's, let's just uh, apply a little bit of laser thinking to that then for a minute. Can you summarize uh, that you, you, you tell somebody on the 41A bus uh, what the problem is and what needs to be fixed? Well, if I had to say anything to anybody, it would be that we need to stop focusing narrowly on one issue. We need to bring everything to the table, all the issues that we're looking at, and we need to get more people involved in the conversation. We need to start looking at our plan. How are we going to recover um, Ireland? How are we not going to get left behind when the rest of Europe is doing something else and they're growing? And how we get more involved in the conversation? So, you know, the government really need to step up and you really need to start looking at the bigger picture. I think, you know, there's there's two stages to this in Ireland. I think 
in the in the very short term, immediate term, there does need to be financial support for the whole sector, for the airports, for the airlines, for all the ancillary services that are being really badly affected, just as there should be also, by the way, for the hotels and the restaurants and everyone else who's really suffering disproportionately under the current restrictions. The longer term thing is, you know, we do need this plan. We, we need to, to, to actively take part in decisions that are being made now in Europe and at international level to move forward because our, our economy, our country depends so heavily on this. We have an interest in shaping this. We have an interest in, in proactively being involved rather than standing in the sidelines uh, as if we can sort of pull up the drawbridge and exist in splendid isolation by ourselves in the middle of the Atlantic. It's not going to work. How are you going to get the attention of, of the advisors? Because it's easy to think that you could get the attention of the politicians, but they will only turn to their advisors when it comes to what should happen next. What's the channel to them? Well, I know that some people within the, the pilots union have had pretty good contacts with some politicians and some advisors, and many of them do understand the problem. I suppose there's a feeling amongst them that they're so overwhelmed by the the complexity and the scale of the problem that it's difficult to penetrate through with these, as you say, kind of more logical arguments because everything gets swept up in the prevailing mood. I think, though, I, I hope and I think that that is starting to change and I think it will change. I think the rollout of the vaccine program, the decreasing pressure in the health service, I think that will change the tone of the conversation. And then perhaps we can have a more sort of rational and calm discussion about these things. But I also think as well that, um, you know, when we start seeing assets being moved out of the out of the country and we start seeing airlines that are not based in Ireland and coming in and taking routes that would have been flown by Irish carriers pre-COVID, it's starting to narrow the focus on the potential problem that lies ahead. And, you know, when you look at our other EU counterparts, they've all really seen this problem very early on. So they've put massive amounts of money into the airline industry pretty much last year, you know, straight at the start of the pandemic. They, they realized that they wanted to keep their core infrastructure in place and they pumped money into it. We just haven't done it. And I think that we're starting to see now the problems. You, you look at Cork Airport, you know, I think there's only... Uh, fly three times a week to London at the moment. You look at Knock Airport, I'm not even sure if there's any airlines flying out of it. Louise said earlier on, you know, 22 destinations out of Dublin, but yet we're seeing maybe Belfast, Manchester starting to grow. And we see, I think it's Lufthansa coming into Cork, you know, mm-hmm. for, so those routes and Swiss. Mm-hmm. So th- those routes are going to be serviced by non Irish airlines. So we're losing out on the jobs, we're losing out on the tax paid into the system and everything else that goes along with it. Can, can I ask you then, to, if you could, to, to maybe cast forward a little bit, because we know that Qantas are offering mystery flights to, to keep their crew and their airplanes in the air. Uh, and obviously other European countries and countries can be big enough that they can operate an internal service. We can't. We're an island. Uh, and, you know, other than I think the two flights I see every day going to Kerry and to Donegal, uh, for the most part, we need to be able to get off the island safely. What, what's, what's the best option? For example, do we need a a, a corridor between ourselves yeah, and other countries. Okay. Yeah, I think I think in in the in the initial phase that will form part of the solution. The way we would see this, you know, the end state or the end goal, if you like, is whenever there's enough of the world's population that that is vaccinated, and this virus, this terrible virus, is effectively endemic, it becomes like another 
illness and it doesn't have the impact that it's having at the moment. But that's some time away, certainly on a worldwide basis. It could be anything up to two years. But within certain areas of the world, and of course, Europe in particular, that'll happen a lot sooner. And certainly in the short term, you know, we'd see a kind of a bridge and a phased removal, as we say, of restrictions based on, on, on what's happening in the, in the real world. And I suppose if we wanted to take a pilot's perspective, you know, we can we know that as pilots, we, we love, you know, to make a plan. Good decisions come from good planning. And there's, uh, you know, a very good decision making tool, uh, TDODAR, that we might be familiar with that, you know, can allow us maybe to make the best um, possible decision. So for where we are at the moment, so we'll go through it, TDODAR, so T, so for time and targets. So time, as Louise said earlier on, this problem is absolutely time critical, 143 3,000 jobs and livelihoods are at stake. As Daniel mentioned, one Irish airline has already closed uh, its Dublin base with many redundancies. And more recently, 129 workers in Shannon have been uh, laid off with aircraft being moved, as uh, both Simon and Daniel have mentioned as well. And uh, the Cork Airport then possibly being closed uh, September to November this year. Uh, and, And targets. And what are our targets for this? Well, no more job losses you know, no irreparable damage done to the to the aviation industry here in Ireland and the loss to connectivity with the appropriate safety measures, of course, in place, keeping the health and safety of the public in mind. So then we could move to D to diagnosis. Well, that requires information. So what sources do I have? Well, there's a plethora of sources with government, the WHO, the ECDC, EMA, ICAO, IATA, the list goes on. And basically, we can see that they're all telling us the same, the same thing, that we're in a global pandemic with a significant impact on our society. So we can move along to options. So are there options? Well, normally when, when we're flying in a day-to-day uh, business, our, our options are, are usually going to be continue, divert or return. So we can keep that same same format. So we can continue as we are with the closed economy, but that's just not sustainable. We could return to uh, pre-COVID operations without further measures, which is not possible until the critical mass of vaccinations has occurred and the risk has been sufficiently abated. Or we could make a plan to safely and effectively resume some of the level of, of aviation using all of the information that we have gathered in line, of course, always with public health measures. We're always very safety orientated. So what could be in this plan? As we've mentioned, you know, vaccinations, increased testing, perhaps, you know, digital certificates to cover um, to those. And as you had mentioned as well, Michael, then travel corridors. So we're going to decide now. So do decide. We're going to, you know, decide on what plan. So we're going to make a plan to recover Irish aviation. A then would be assigned tasks. So what tasks do we have and who will do them? So plenty of logistics with the vaccines, with testing, especially uh, rapid antigen testing before and after flights, you know, the building of these digital certificates, you know, hopefully in line with the rest of Europe, bilateral agreements then creating these travel corridors. And as we had mentioned as well, with airline uh, pilot and cabin crew training, that'll take a lot of scheduling and, uh, you know, and a lot of time. So this needs to be a plan, you know, that's not just, you know, going to be told to us next week. And then uh, finally, then, or for risk and review. So firstly, have we correctly identified the problem? Well, I think we can say we have. Uh, What risks are associated then with our agreed plan? Well, there's always risks associated, but they are low. So how can we mitigate? Well, we stick to the public health measures when traveling. So our masks, washing hands, hand sanitizers. We know aircrafts are low risk environments. And passengers then will have digital certificates. So they will be held by people who are approved to fly. 
a review, then we could set up a task force that will keep the process under constant review. You can hear the voice of an instructor in that one too. <laughs> 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 that one. Oh, no. as, as we come to the end of the time for, for the chat today, can I go around the table one final time? I, I, I need two things. I suppose I need, a, a, if you like, a personal insight to this, but also a sense of optimism about it as well, because uh, you know, people listening to us will be maybe involved in aviation themselves. They may be at this stage fairly running out of rope when it comes to uh, keeping resilient and, and looking after the mental health. Who wants to start there first? Well, uh, yeah, I would just Louise. say that um, aviation uh, was seen as part of the problem initially, but really we see ourselves as part of the solution for moving beyond COVID. So whether that's uh, carrying cargo in passenger aircraft, um, you know, 50% of our cargo is carried in the belly of passenger aircraft. So we carry vaccines, goods, whatever, but we can find uh, a solution to overcoming the economic recovery as well through um, air transport. Well, personally, why I wanted to get involved in the Recover Irish Aviation is because I was made redundant last year. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, it, it's it's a similar situation to half a million people, you know, perhaps without jobs in, in the rest of the country. So it can be a very difficult um, situation to be in. Unfortunately, as we are now, the prospect of getting a job in Ireland flying in the foreseeable future is very bleak. So, it, you know, it's, it's very important to, to do what we can to, to help move this forward. Yeah, I think, you know, as, as a, a nation, we do seem to be very resilient. And, you know, being optimistic is, is definitely um, what makes up resilience and flexibility, purpose and focus. And I think if we can stay focused on the necessity for making a plan and, you know, hopefully then we can work together and, uh, and get out of this. I find myself surprised, Michael, at at my stage in life. I never really expected to involved in leading a social media campaign. (laughs) I wasn't even on Twitter. I wasn't even on social media. I had to ask my kids how to work Instagram. But here I am. And I suppose there's a streak in me that's if I see something that I think it's wrong, I, I just I can't stand by and watch it. I probably would be all right, to be honest, even in the worst case scenario, at the stage of the career I'm at. I would probably get out of this with some sort of a, a financial package or whatever that, that, that I would get by with. There's a lot of people who are not that fortunate, younger people who, who are starting their career, who are really going to suffer. There's all sorts of reasons I could give you like that, that I got involved with this. But, and at the, at the risk of sounding a little bit hackneyed, but like I have two daughters. I have a 12-year-old daughter and a 14-year-old daughter. And I look at them and I, I really do, I kind of wonder what kind of a country are, are, are they going to grow up in? And is it going to be what I'd want to see for them? And if it's not, did I stand by and let that happen and not speak out and not say this is wrong, we can do this better? So if nothing else, I'll be able to do that, I think. And I do, I am optimistic, actually. I, I Just from talking to neighbours and talking to, to friends and family, I think there's a lot more people who feel this way than you would think if you watched a lot of the media coverage. And, you know, I'd, I'd just appeal to anyone who's out there in the aviation community or in the wider community, you know, if, you, if there's anything that we're saying that you think has any validity, you know, look us up, follow us on social media and get involved because I think more people need to be heard, more different sort of perspectives need to be heard. And we need to, we need to together really forge a way out of this, this mess that we're in at the moment. Daniel? Yeah, so 
I just think we're stuck in a little bit of a rut at the moment, but I think it's very easy to get out of it. You know, talking to to people, you know, we, we all seem to be just at breaking point now, but there, there's measures we can put in place to make sure that we come out of the other side of this and come out of it better as well. So we've seen a great sense of community in Ireland over the last year, and we just need to put all that into use now to, to make sure that we, we formulate some sort of plan to get out of the situation that we're, we're at and try and get back to some form of safe normality. So again, you know, I'd ask anybody that agrees with us to to get online and sign our petition. It's not just about aviation. It's about small businesses across Ireland. It's, a, it's about what we're looking at is trying to get people back into Ireland, spending money safely, especially, you know, the, the rural towns across Ireland who, who rely on tourism and especially our, our regional airports such as Cork Airport, uh, Kerry Airport. You know, the 640 people employed in, in Kerry Airport is the same, same down in Knock. There, there's real jobs here. Uh, and the focus needs to be on implementing some form of plan to make sure that we come out of this the other side with jobs intact and people intact. Well, we'll leave it there, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for joining us. Daniel Langan, Sarah Louise Gibbons, Simon Moody and Louise Gilroy. Thank you for joining us on Squawk 7000. Thanks, Michael. Thanks, Michael. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for joining us on this episode of Long Final from Squawk7000.ie. If you'd like to hear more, please subscribe and do tell your friends. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.